Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. And I'm Juliana. And I'm Adriana. And we're delighted to bring you today an episode on virginity or celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. This is a topic we mentioned in brief on the episode about Mary as we were discussing her virginal love and why we call her the Virgin Mary. And I mentioned in passing that we would be very willing to do a full episode on virginity and in particular Giussani, Luigi Giussani's distinctive understanding of virginity if there was sufficient listener interest. And you guys took us up on it. We got some beautiful messages in which our listeners shared some experiences that they've had and reasons that they wanted to go deeper into this topic of virginity. And so I'm really grateful for that and grateful for the provocation to do Um, some more intense and focal work in these weeks of preparation for this episode on what it means to live virginity in every relationship that I have, what it means to have this heart full of pure love as the Lord invites us to, and and as Jusani describes in vivid detail, especially in his books, um, Is It Possible to Live This Way?, So in this conversation, we'll be following, uh, to a certain extent, an essay that was written by Paolo Prosperi in Communio, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, as well as, of course, our drawing heavily on our own experiences of married and single life. Thank you for that introduction, Sophia. Uh, You mentioned that Giussani has a distinctive understanding of virginity. This is absolutely true. And for those who uh, live the life of the movement, we know that this is often the case with Giussani, that it's essential to understand his writings and the writings of others in the movement um, by starting with the definition. Oh, yeah. He uses vocab in weird ways. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Just to frame our discussion and help us really understand the breadth and the depth of this topic, I'm wondering if you could start there and provide kind of a brief overview mm. of what Jusani means when he talks about virginity. How is it defined? So I think the the main ingredient that it's essential to include would be the idea that virginity is not in the first place a renunciation of married life of physical intimacy, of having children, but rather a mode of loving that is a deeper possession of the object of your love. So it's it's a possession that has this interior detachment of not grasping the person in front of you for yourself or loving them according to who they could be for you, but instead a love of that person according to their destiny, according to Christ, according to the Father who is creating them and the Son who has redeemed them and their journey back into that love. Yeah, so far from being something, just a renunciation that some people in the church are called to make, it's the ideal of all Christian love because it's love according to how Christ loved people with this gaze full of awareness of their destiny in the Father, and full of desire, first of all, for them to reach that destiny. Does that sort of get the ball rolling in a helpful way? Yeah. On that point, something that was really helpful for me was a Pillar article interview with Bishop Varden Mm -hmm. that we all read, and he mentioned the relationship etymologically between the word chastity and integral that would have been very evident in a Latin-speaking world, Mm. and that 
virginity includes like an integrated looking at the person, the person you love and, and any human person, that your gaze is an integrated look that you recognize them first as gift of the father, like who they are mm-hmm. on the most total level before you. And only in being able to gaze at the other that way can we first like delight that they're the gift of another, um, but be even able to love them. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it really, for me, has become such a provocative episode topic because it's not just an episode for those who think they may be called to consecrated life or who are already living in that state. But for me as a mother, I too am called continually to hold my children with more virginity mm-hmm. in the definition that we've that Father Chitani has given us. Yeah. I'm really grateful for how you both answered that question and framed this topic. In particular, what you just said, Adriana, has been a thought that I've been having too. I think it goes right to the heart of the matter because the essential question that we try to answer in in all of our episodes, mm-hmm. in our discussions, is what does this have to do with my life? Like, what does this have to do? As a married person, what is the role of virginity in my life, in the church and the world? Uh, because quite frankly, if it's not relevant to my daily reality, why should I care about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you both said provides a glimpse into the the answer, which is really a mystery, but the answer to this question is, I think, at the highest level, twofold. The first is that, as you were saying, Adriana, I'm called to virginity and the posture, as the posture with which do I relate to all the things and the people that I encounter in my life. But second, Sophia, I think as you previewed, in particular people in the church are called to live virginity in a specific way, in a unique way. You could say a complete way to offer all of themselves, including their potential for family and marriage to Christ. Mm-hmm. And even though I haven't received this call, it is still the utmost relevance to me because these men and women are given to me as witnesses and beacons and living testaments of what I'm made for and the truth of this world. And I mean, what else could be more important, right? So I think that there's, mm-hmm. it's kind of twofold, the definition and the relevance. There's the one that's broadly applicable to every Christian person, but also certain people have been called to this life in a special way. And that's also for all of us. Yeah, yeah. What you both shared, I think, points to the fact that this is the ideal of all Christian love precisely because and insofar it is what we're all destined for, what we're all going to live in heaven. Mm-hmm. And yes, and so it applies to every human relationship, including the ones that we have with each other. I think one of my first experiences of Jusani's definition of virginity, of awareness of how this entailed something concrete in every relationship in my life was actually a conversation I had with Adriana, which maybe she doesn't remember, but I was a sophomore in college and she made this offhand comment to her then boyfriend, Brian, (laughs) saying basically, I can't wait until heaven when I can behold Sophie's soul transparently Mm -hmm. and just know her completely. And to me, I mean, my mind was blown because I had at that time, as we talked about in the episode on friendship, this new discovery of my intense love of my friends and yet had been faced with this 
simultaneous awareness that they remained a mystery. No, no matter how intimately we shared life, no matter how intensely we, we engaged in uh, spiritual accompaniment, they remained a mystery. And so when you said that, I had this apprehension of the fact that it wouldn't be that way forever, that the faces of the people that I love in heaven will be more luminous and beautiful and personal to me because I will see them clearly as the Lord sees them now. Mm -hmm. And that I can have a foretaste of that on earth through friendship, through, but that this foretaste entails a work of conversion, of asceticism, of of climbing a ladder of love, this sort of ascetical ascent Mm -hmm. beyond what the senses give me, which is this beautiful person, Adriana, who I love so much, but to go beyond, again, as we talked about on the, the episode on creation, to go beyond the appearance of things and the sign of things to perceive that this person is a gift of the mystery to me. And yeah, Julie, as you said, some people are called to live this completely in the form of their life so that the whole Christian community, all of us can learn that our freedom now, that we are called forth now to use our freedom to learn to love each other in this way. So that when we get to heaven, it won't be strange to us. It'll be something that we've mm-hmm. we've tasted, right? We've tasted this transparent, beautiful love of one another. Wow. Thank you, Sophia. That was really beautiful. I don't remember that and it made me emotional to hear you say that (laughs) it's still true that desire for total knowing of the other and to also be totally known yeah which isn't fully possible in this life and i love what you're saying about the ladder that was drawn out too in prosperi's article where he just asks very bluntly like do we are marriage and the virginal state of life opposed or are they rather an ascending ladder to heaven? And to see them as an ascending ladder is so helpful to me because perhaps more basically like the question that I'm asking and the gaze I'm trying to develop or asking Christ to develop in me is like how to behold the beautiful. Mm. And I suppose probably that's also the the question or the hope I'm asking for when I said that to Brian, like, I can't wait until heaven because I, I can behold all of you, Sophia, in your beauty, which isn't available on this side. And from my own experience, like, it's not available in the married life either. And in a way, there's this the natural tendency because of the physicality of marriage and the humanness of marriage that the concept of possession comes up so much in my experience Mm -hmm. of needing to be corrected and reminded and like healed in this tendency to possess, to grasp, Mm -hmm. and to see my friends like offering themselves as sacrifice in this virginal state of life, to see them behold the beautiful, which I too am trying to do, with a greater possession that isn't grasping is so attractive to me. And I think that's what I find so attractive about about this topic. Yeah, promise of, I mean, that's why Jesus calls it the hundredfold, is you can, you'll have a hundred times over whatever you leave for his name. You'll love your husband a hundred times more if you're able to look at him with this keeping his beauty at a certain distance. Mm -hmm. You're able to look upon him with a love that's a hundred times more intense because, because you're adopting the gaze of Christ on him. Yeah, it's like, 
this is why we want to learn how to live virginity because we want to be happy. Like not because it's some ethical imperative to, uh, to follow. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking to Adriana, that what we're aspiring to and what we ultimately desire is to love as God loves and Christ modeled this for us during his earthly life. And ultimately, the love of Christ, the love of God for every human soul is exactly that. It's the love of the good. It's the love of the beautiful. It's completely gratuitous. And it's a love that leaves the object of the love, the human person, completely free to respond or to not, free of possession, free of wounds and insecurities that we have in our relationships with each other, free of the hurt that we inflict on each other. Because when we love something beautiful, it's simply for the sake of what is. It's not It's not what you get from the thing. It's not for the utility that you derive from it. And I think in our human relationships, we're constantly, constantly tempted in every area of life towards this utilitarian transactional view of each other. Mm-hmm. And I think like this is a real corrective and, and what we're trying, what we will experience in heaven and what we're aspiring to um, form ourselves to now is exactly this, the gaze of Christ and the gaze of God on each other. That's crazy. If you listen to what you just described, like that's crazy. So for me, the immediate question is, like where in your life, either where in your life do you see that you can learn this, that you can grow in this? And where in your life have you tasted that this kind of love is possible? That even though you are, I was picturing in prayer this morning, like my distractions in in prayer and in life are like the tip of an iceberg of all of the deep-seated resistance I have to the will of God and to the love of God and just like this sorrow that broke me in that moment. But it's true that even with this iceberg of my limitations and my sins, like I've tasted this love. So I wanted to hear from you, like where in your experience have you seen that it's possible and not some unrealistic ideal to just kind of shame yourself with? (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Sophia. I think the scripture passage that like has keeps coming up to me in this is just like whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Mm. And that being the proposal and I when you ask me that question, I think of so clearly of examples of people who have loved me that way with such total freedom before before my destiny of like whatever Christ asks of you. My, the example coming to mind is a dear friend and spiritual mother who so, so important to me, Sister Grace Dominic um, of the Sisters of Life. And she was my vocation director while I was discerning with the Sisters of Life. And this was like such a tumultuous time in my life in terms of like, what is God calling me to? Is it this state? Is it not? Um, I just want to have an answer. And she was constantly it's like a presence of freedom before the question and we grew so close and intimate i mean she was my vocation director so in a way like i was just so transparent before her and everything that was going on in my soul and my prayer life that it came to a point where i i think perhaps from my like own woundedness of how i loved or been loved before i felt exactly what you're saying like shame around Like, maybe I'm not called to this, and maybe you're going to be disappointed that I'm not living up to, like, Mm -hmm. 
what your life is, that she's a consecrated religious, or like what you expected of me, or like perhaps you wasted time on me because you're supposed to like be bringing in vocations or something. All of this shame was just pouring in. And she just like, I remember her holding my hands and just saying like, you are so good. And you were so loved by the father. And I just started weeping and she was like holding me and hugging me. And in the end, she wrote all of the prayers of the faithful for my nuptial mass. Oh, wow. And just held with such love what the father had for me and such freedom, like freedom from her own, I guess, desires if they would be outside. And expectations and images. Yeah. Yeah. And even though it meant a separation from the two of us. Yes. Because I'm not with her. And she said to me once, like, it's okay that we're sorrowful because the human heart isn't meant for separation, but it's something we have to endure on earth. Um, And even that was just so moving to me. She could just receive with freedom, like, even, even the grief of this life and not shy away from it if that's what the Father desired. Wow. Thank God. Yeah. And for me, it's been really educative on how how I want to love and how I want to love my children. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like this cultural mindset around um, the consecrated state of virginity to think that they're like less human or or maybe like less in touch with their human desires because they like they just suppress them to try to deal with it. Yeah. I think there are probably people who have lived their sexuality that way. But that's not at all what Father Giussani is inviting us to. And that's not at all what I experienced in Sister Grace Dominic. It's that she could, like, behold me as gift and then give me back so freely that I also am asking to be transformed in me with my children or my husband because I love my children so much, like – Whosoever loves his life will lose it. Mm-hmm. And can I give them back? And that being like the, my constant posture is definitely something that I want to be and I see as an ongoing transformation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I'm really moved by Sister Grace Dominic's gaze on you. And I, as you describe it, actually, it reminded me of how I have often felt my parents uh, look at me in, yeah. in moments in critical moments of my life, you know, existential questions, falling in love, new jobs, new opportunities, they've always affirmed and reminded me that the answer is Christ. No matter what I'm facing, the answer is him. And they've just looked at me with such certainty that I'm good and I am made for something good. Um, and that that's what matters and yes. not things that so many other parents are fixated on. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I just love this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have the same parents, so you know what I'm right. talking about. <laughs> Huge fan of them, too. Huge fan. <laughs> um, and gosh, I mean, in addition to them, I, I have so many other examples of people who will help me look upon my kids with virginity, with freedom. And this is something I really need because as I said before, I think 
mothers in particular, and maybe, maybe I don't know, because I'm just a new mom, but I think in particular when your kids are really young, it's a real temptation, this mindset of possession. Mm-hmm. So I, I really, this is something, to go back to your question, Sophia, that I really think that I, I'm challenged in and I need to continue growing in. Something else that has been really provocative on this note has been this address that I read by Pope Francis that was a reflection on St. Joseph Mm. and what we can learn from him and St. Joseph's role in the life of the Christian. And at one point he related the title that we've often heard for St. Joseph, which is most chaste. Typically it's used to discuss St. Joseph's relationship and marriage with Mary because the church teaches that they never had sex and both remained virgins. But he related it to, in a new way that I hadn't heard before, With re- he related it to St. Joseph's fatherhood of Jesus, mm. Joseph most chaste as a father. And that has been really provocative for me in thinking about all the episodes we know of St. Joseph's life and of his fatherhood from the initial annunciation of who this child was and what Joseph was called to do to taking care of Mary and Jesus, taking them to Egypt, the presentation in the temple, the finding of Jesus in the temple, just every moment just I think has a lot of rich fruits in it if we reflect on it from the perspective of Joseph as a chaste father. Mm-hmm. Loving the destiny of the child and the destiny of the people Israel instead of, yeah. Yeah, and just like a from the very beginning – a complete and full awareness that this child did not belong to him. Yeah. yeah. He was given to him to protect and to father, but like he was always an adoptive. He was always a foster father. He was just, it just must've been so clear to him every single day that Jesus was a mystery, something utterly beyond anything he could ever grasp. And that he was just called to such detachment I don't know if I'm articulating this well. No, yeah, you know, yeah. I think there's just like so much to reflect on. It's hard to put it into words. It's just been something that shows me that it's possible, like someone that shows me that it's mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you shared that with me, Julie, I was just so moved because it's so human to like have dreams and visions of who your child will be or dreams for your child. And St. Joseph being like the perfect model that, your child is not for the realization of your dreams. Yeah. And how, I guess like I've experienced how difficult that can be for parents. Yeah. I've also been on the note of biblical models of this. I've I've also always been struck by the passage in Mark where Jesus calls James and John and they're fishing with their father mm-hmm. and they just immediately get up and follow him and just what that must have been like for Zebedee. I think that that's true chastity too. That's another model. Just yeah. recognizing that your children are made for someone else, Christ, and a complete letting go of them. This like loss of companionship and work, this loss of physical proximity that they had for their destiny. Yeah. Great example. What about you, Sophia? Yeah, I. This week has been the occasion, really, to to judge how I'm living, and of course, with this has come a grief at how I fall short in loving people in a virginal way, but also to marvel at the love that I've seen and tasted that that should be impossible on a merely human level. And as I was reflecting on this with gratitude, I 
I recognized that this happens in, in three distinct areas in my life. The first is perhaps most intuitive um, when it comes to virginity, which is relationships that I have with people that I'm very attracted to. And this doesn't have to be romantically. I think one of the primary examples in my life is actually your your children, my godchildren, Elena and Paul, and how much I love them and have this this desire in a sense to possess them. And yet the role of a godmother is virginal. Yeah, in discovering that precisely in holding them loosely because they don't belong to me, I love your children more in in giving everything that I have and I am for in the hope that they reach their destiny of eternity in Christ. Um, but then too, obviously, with uh, men that I'm attracted to or have fallen in love with, that this sacrifice of a relationship with them and this entreaty to the Father to give me a pure love for them, a love that doesn't grasp them for myself, but doesn't run away either, but instead beholds them at a distance, beholds their beauty, and offers the love that I feel for them in prayer that they might reach their destiny. And yeah, and to discover in that the the goodness of my own heart and how it's been made and it enlivens my prayer and my vocation. It's not it's not an obstacle to that. Mm. So that's the first and yeah, most obvious way in which I've seen that my poor and petty heart can be transformed and experience a new kind of love um, by God's grace. The second is in a sense, the exact opposite experience. It's in front of people who don't immediately draw me, that I'm not affectively drawn to. Um, Here, I think virginity helps me not stop at the appearance that may be repulsive or uncomfortable or hostile or difficult um, or simply awkward, (laughs) but to go to the truth of things and really discover the goodness of the person in front of me. The primary experience that came to mind was my experience of volunteering with folks with intellectual disabilities, many of whom have communication styles and ways of sensing and being in the world that are profoundly different from a neurotypical person, and this can be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And yet I've really discovered that by pushing beyond the appearances of things, by trying to love them virginally according to their destiny, the father who's creating them, keeping this gaze that Christ had upon them in mind while I'm with them. What I discover is that Christ's beauty, like the Psalm says, the fairest of the children of men, Christ's beauty comes to me through their faces Mm. and I hunger for this. And so by converting my gaze and learning to see them according to their origin and their destiny, my life is incomparably richer than it would be if I stopped at the immediate surface of our difficulty in being together and belonging to each other. And the third category is actually perhaps the most, it's been the most surprising to me as someone who historically is just completely wrapped up in her own mental world, her own interior life. But this discovery of a profound interest that I have in people who I don't know at all, in strangers, like sitting on the bus on my way into work here at Harvard and wondering about the people around me being moved by the sadness on their faces or really begging in my heart that they encounter Christ in the way that I've encountered him, wondering if they already know him, like asking for their faith to grow. 
So yeah, so those were the three kinds of experiences that came to mind for me in reflecting on the miracle um, that's happened in my heart in these years of following Christ. Mm-hmm. And yeah, three three areas of my life that on the surface might seem very different from one another, might seem detached, but there's this thread that goes through them all of the discovery of a new kind of love, love according to their destiny, according to the truth of things, and a love that I could never have on my own or make for myself. Yeah. And so I'm profoundly grateful for the grace of God that reaches me um, through the church to to enable this kind of love. That's really interesting. In the first two categories you gave, well, maybe also in the third, but in the first two, it came through more clearly. You described a real shift from a possessive love to a more virginal love and your journey through that. And I think it would be helpful. I would love to know concretely what helped you along that journey. Mm. How, how did you make that change? Yeah. I mean, of course, it's a grace, right? Because virginity is a gift from like all graces. But how what helped you respond to that initiative of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, thank you. I think in reflecting on it, I've been struck by the same point that you and Adriana shared earlier about how loved I have been virginally by others, uh, starting with my parents, but continuing through so many people and and seeing and being struck by the splendor of that love, the freedom of that love, and how much greater it was than my petty and narrow heart <laughs> is what has inspired me to do the work of saying like, Lord, help me move beyond appearances with this person. Help me see them the way that you see them. Um, so yeah, following my older friends who live who live virginity. And then the other thing I'd say is um, is prayer. Silence helps me a lot. I think silence, interior silence, is essential to this movement of stepping back from the immediate impact you have with reality. And yeah, so being faithful to that time of silence is helpful and to really bring the people, the faces of the people that I love or that I don't love to that time of silence and putting them in front of the father and really begging to see them in a new way. And, but also the Eucharist, I think, because it's such a, such an experience of being loved and possessed by Christ without, as we talked about on the the episode about the Holy Spirit, without his physical presence next to me in the flesh, like a normal man, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet I find myself in the Eucharist so supremely known and mm-hmm. we, there's this mutual indwelling that is so much greater than if he hadn't ascended to the Father. So, yeah, so companionship and prayer in these ways, I think would I'd say are the, the forms of education. Yeah, thanks for bringing up the Eucharist because that reminds me of another... Prospery gave us the image of Mary Magdalene, as did Bishop Varden, that so moved me as like the icon of desire and one who lets herself continually have her desire be transformed and not at all repressed, but like that redemption is, is always possible beginning with her living entirely of the flesh in prostitution receiving that transformation, loving Christ, and then again, like wanting to hold him, which seems so natural to me. But at the resurrection, him instructing her, do not cling to me. Mm -hmm. But that instruction, do not cling to me, is because you can have greater intimacy with me 
if you don't cling to me, you can have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Eucharist. I can remain in you, but you must let go of me. And she can again receive that correction so that she can experience him coming into her body in in a more intimate way, in a, in a consummation. That was just so powerful to me and attractive yeah. in my own kind of tendency to cling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really loved that connection as well. And I think two additional points struck me about that passage. The first is that it just illustrates that this is the path of a lifetime and that our virginity will never be perfect until we're in heaven Mm -hmm. with God. Because even Mary Magdalene, who loved Jesus so tenderly and and who was faithful to him, who was the apostle to the apostles, who was at the foot of the cross, even she needs a corrective. Um, and she continually needs to be perfected in this, yeah. in, in her love. And the second is, like, again, it demonstrates the need for virginity in relationship to everything. Because e- even the things that are so good and for us, and, you know, even Christ himself, like, even those things we must love with a with a virginal love. It's not like detachment from the things of the world and like detachment from material things and detachment from sin, but it's like a lack of possession of the yeah. of Christ himself. I mean, of good itself and of beauty itself and of truth of itself. I mean, mm. it's so all-encompassing. Yeah. I'm very partial to <laughs> The example of Mary Magdalene, and I really appreciate, Julie, the the way that you fleshed out what Adriana said and what we're all invited to in imitating her example. I think a further element of that story that has always struck me, especially in pondering one of my favorite depictions of it, which is uh, Titian's Noli Me Tangere, which is at the National Gallery in London. So if you Google it, you'll have this image in mind. But Mary is so clearly desirous of Christ. Mm -hmm. And yet what immediately comes after that exchange that's depicted in that portrait is Jesus sending her away to his brethren and saying, go and tell my brothers that I'm going to go meet them in Galilee. So from this experience of coming to Christ with this desire, receiving this correction that you spoke of, Adriana, of an invitation to a deeper mutual indwelling through virginity, then what immediately follows is the task of becoming an apostle to the apostles, of proclaiming the truth of this love that she has experienced and then just received in a deeper way. It drives her forth with this fire to tell everyone that what their heart longs for is is still here, is present. So too, with all of us, when we experience this grace of the hundredfold, as you were saying, with your children, um, with our parents, with your spouses, with the people on the bus, like to experience this impossible fullness of love, participation in the way that Christ gazes on the world, it begs to be shared. It, it must communicate itself to the other as longing for that person to discover their own destiny. Uh, Or it's not true. Otherwise, it's a self-satisfied kind of stoic detachment from things. No, it gives birth to a missionary passion that cannot be contained, that led the martyrs to their deaths and Francis Xavier to baptize 5,000 kids in one day and 
the whole history of the church, I think, can be traced to that turn um, and that sending of Mary Magdalene. Yeah, thank you, Sophia. I'm so drawn to like that it's through the purification of her virginity that her mission springs forth. Yeah. And I mean, we see that so like self-evident in in the saints in general and then also in the saints who are living the consecrated life. Like I think of Mother Teresa and her call to the streets of Calcutta, that it's from her call to virginity that she receives that call. And then I also think of St. Gianna Mala, who receives her call of the cross within motherhood, like within her journey of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And two, because of a heart of, of truer virginity that she's able to say yes to that. I think this is another way that the world misunderstands virginity because it's misunderstood as kind of this, like an emptiness, yeah, a renunciation, a dry renunciation instead of an availability for the sake of mission, like a, a clearing away for the sake of mission. And in my own life, I've really seen this in particular from my friends, my acquaintances who have been called to the consecrated life I can point to moments of real darkness for me where I have been tempted to ask if any of this is true. Is anything that I know of God true? Does he even exist? Does he even love me? Mm. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have, we'll all have those moments sometime in our life. Mm. But it's in those moments where I can look to these people and they can serve as anchors for me because I know them and I know that they wouldn't have given their lives for nothing. So even if I cannot feel anything, even if I can't see anything, I know that this is true because I mean, they're not fools. Mm -hmm. It's like living proof that this is, this is real, that Christ became man. The word became flesh and died for me. Like it's true because they gave their lives to this, you know? Yeah. On your reflection of like the misunderstanding around virginity as a dryness, as an emptiness, I think something that's been really moving to me from you, Sophia, and Father Giussani is that it's first a yes. It's a yes to a sacrifice of something. And for something to be a good sacrifice, first there's the love of God, but second, a recognition of what you're sacrificing is good and beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Not that you are renouncing some some sort of like kind of frailty of the human world that none of us will experience in heaven and you're just kind of strong enough that you can let go of it now mm-hmm. that you recognize the the beauty and goodness and it's precisely that beauty and goodness that you are offering on the altar right. as a holocaust this is salient to me too i think there's a real connection here in marriage, which is also an offering unto death. Like we so often, we so often think of marriage in our culture as like something that's supposed to make us happy. Um, And when it doesn't do that anymore, then you just get divorced Mm -hmm. and see like the Christian understanding of marriage unto death as like such a ancient imposition on modern times or something. But actually like my yes to Brian is, of course, a renunciation in a way of all other men. But it's actually not lived at all that way. It's like a joyful gift of self totally Mm -hmm. to another before me in which 
I meet Christ. That's critical. And this is why virginity in the church is a permanent state of life, that it has to be till death. Because Julie, as you were speaking so beautifully about your own experiences of desolation, because if the task is witnessing to everyone that your immediate response to reality, your surface impressions of reality aren't the truth of reality, that actually there's this depth dimension to life that is the mystery. If this is your task to witness to that, then it can't be a temporary, it has to be true for you so completely that you can die in that state with the same radiant joy that you said yes to it. And this, I think, is exactly as you're saying, Adriana, a point where marriage and virginity as states of life can be mutually enriching for one another as testimonies that, yes, just like your spouse isn't the answer to all of your desires, he's a sign of the answer. And so you remain faithful to him because this is how the mystery enters your life, even when sometimes this takes the shape of the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's critical and a, a witness that the world needs, not in like a... Let's shame them, you know, for for how they're behaving. But that the world needs if the world is going to be happy. It's through the cross that we discover the fullness of life that we want. And the way that one of our mutual friends, Adriana, who's a priest uh, who was at Notre Dame at the same time as us, one time preached a homily at Daily Mass where he was describing his vows. He was a religious priest. And so his vows of poverty, chastity, obedience as the three nails that crucify him to the cross of Christ. And that vivid image has just remained with me. But I think it's it's true of all of our vows that we make to the Lord. These are the nails that keep us on the cross with Christ, but not to remain there in death, but to experience from there the resurrection, the newness of life, as we talked about on our episode back in April, the newness of life that is impossible anywhere else. Wow, that was really powerful, Sophia. Thank you. That image is just so powerful of the the nails which keep me on the cross of Christ. Yeah. I like sense we're running close to the end. And a point that really struck me in the Prospery article that I guess I wanted to just talk about with you guys was this point he made where he said like both marriage and the celibate life entail a certain element of painful renunciation. Mm. The married person must give up the highest form of virginity in the same way that the person consecrated virgin must give up marriage and family life. Um, That really struck me as true upon first reading. I had like never really thought about that together, but it seems so obviously true to me. Mm. Both my husband and I discerned religious life and my husband was in the seminary for a few years but because of the daily tasks of life, I don't live my marriage where I'm constantly gazing at Brian in this way where I'm like able to see his totality and who he belongs yeah. to. There's an opaqueness. Yeah, yeah. It's through through a dirty mirror. But also just sometimes it's just like, can you take the dog to the park? I'm not like thinking thinking about about that. And particularly in the contemplative life, I think that's that real relationship between contemplation and virginity is there's like a stepping back and you're able to see the totality of the person. Mm -hmm. And 
when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about in marriage prep with uh, Father Kevin Grove. He asked us for one of our tasks to look at each other in silence for seven minutes. We set a timer and we both just had to gaze at the other and see what came up. And it was a really long, it felt like a long time, but it was such a beautiful experience for, I think for both of us, especially for me, like I felt that I could see all of him simultaneously, like that he was a small child, a teenage boy, now this young man, that he would grow old, that everything that happens temporally is happening all at once in the gaze of Christ. And I was like given this eternal glimpse in those seven minutes. And that to me is like, it happened so rarely. And I think I felt like what Prosper was saying in terms of like the married person also makes a renunciation. Mm-hmm. And I think we can really be educated in this because it's so countercultural to think that way. I think most people think it's it's the consecrated religious that has to make the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that line really resonated with me too. And and I think it makes complete sense. If you understand that the virginity has lived in the consecrated life is closer to how we'll live for heaven, in heaven. Yeah. Because that's what we're made for and that's that's the only thing that'll ever bring us complete happiness. And so I think a recognition that Christ has not called you to that form of life on earth honestly should give rise to a sorrow in the heart of every Christian. And and I recognize the beauty in that life, and it does cause me sorrow and, and just a greater longing for heaven, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I think a great example of this lived in marriage are St. Saley and St. Louis, the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux, who both discerned religious life and saw its beauty so clearly, but also realized that they were called to to married life instead. And for both of them, it was like a real grieving, a process of mourning. And then like an embrace of, you know, like this is the path for me. This is where Christ has called me. This is where I'm going to meet him. And then just giving their all to that. But, but there, there's also a sacrifice. Absolutely. It was, it was not at all as the opposite of thank God for not calling me to that, you know, dry and boring (laughs) life. It was like, wow, this is really beautiful and it's not for me. And, you know, I'm going to have to wait a little bit longer to have this closer intimacy with Christ. And and that's a real mm-hmm. cause for sorrow. It really is. Yeah, I think what you both shared just now illuminates what Adriana said earlier. I think the words were marriage is an offering and virginal love, no matter what state it is, is an offering. That's what it consists in. It's Christ who chooses the form that that takes, you know, Julie, if it's if it's marriage or if it's consecrated life. And then within any particular relationship, he chooses how this offering becomes a sacrifice, how what form the cross takes in your life. But our task is just to offer. And this is such a comfort to me every time I'm in a place where I'm aware that my love is less than virginal and that I'm tempted to grasp and possess Um, or instrumentalize, that my task is just to remain faithful to how he's called me. I don't have to create the love within me precisely because it's a participation in the love of Christ. That if God has called me to love this person virginally or to be in this position, he will generate that love 
My task is to remain faithful and to remain faithful to begging that he take everything that he wants to take from me. Mm. And I think this, like, there's a reason that's the the position of the church, the spouse in, at the end of the book of Revelation. Because exactly as you were saying, Julie, this is the task of the church in this world is to beg for him to become everything and everyone, to to give us his love and his life until he comes again. And so, yeah, I'm super grateful. I think we've probably reached the end of our time in this discussion, but I'm really grateful for all that you shared about the way that you live this in your in your marriages and your families. I think it will continue to serve as a provocation for me in really looking at how I love the people that I work with and pray with and to really ask that um, this becomes true in my life. Toward that end, I'm wondering if um, for all of our listeners, given that as we've established, this is the ideal of all Christian love. Is there a is there a monthly challenge that you would offer as a help for all of us to grow in this love? I have one. This is something that my confessor said to me, my last confession, as advice. But he suggested that the next time that I went to Mass, as the priest raised the host up toward heaven, that I say the names of my children mm. as an offering with Christ on the cross, it's just an offering. Um, so maybe it might be fruitful to reflect on where you feel the need for greater purification in your love and to join that, your sacrifice of um, possession of that person to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Sophia, do you have a media recommendation for us? I do. So this is the second song by Josh Girls that I will have recommended on this podcast. <laughs> this one is called Beyond the Blue. And I, when I listened to this song, I was like, this guy must have read Jusani on virginity. It's <laughs> like, there's no, I mean, he's not even Catholic. We should get him to there's listen no to the podcast. There's no way he doesn't know. Yeah, maybe he listens. No, he doesn't, but we should, <laughs> we should ask him. We should tell him. <laughs> we, can send, we can send him the pod. <laughs> Anyway, he because these lyrics speak of a journey that a soul undertakes of learning how to love with purity and thus discovering that, quote, there's no distance in between us, that led by desire, we undertake a journey whereby we begin to possess the other person in fullness, according to their truth, according to their destiny, and not the first impression of appearances of things. So it's incredible. It's a great song, Beyond the Blue, and I will put a link to it in the show notes along with all the other things we've referenced today, especially the Prosperity article from which our episode is drawing its name and the interview that Adriana mentioned at the start um, that Bishop Varden did about his upcoming book about chastity. Thank you all so much for joining us. As always, it was a joy. And we would love if you'd share our podcast with a friend. And also, if you haven't, review us on Apple Podcasts. All of your reviews help new listeners find us. Thank you so much. Know of our prayers for you. See you next month. <laughs>